Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, private podcasts. Oh my God, you're not a private podcast listener. Sorry, that's for my group coaching program. You guys are public podcast listeners. Hello, welcome to the podcast. This is Jacqueline. I it's one of those days where I have a million thoughts going through my head not a million of course that would be wild but it's one of those days where it's just like my mind's like this idea this idea this idea and something that is a curse but also a blessing is that my brain whenever I had have a new idea it's like you have to you have to write that down right now and you have to capture it if you forget it it's priceless and if you forget it you've ruined everything and I just want to offer you if you're like your brain's like that that's not true you just let the idea go. Like it's good to take notes and capture things, but I've learned that I have a lot of ideas and not all of them are good. And just because it feels good in the moment doesn't mean it's always good. And just write it down. But if you don't write it down, it's going to be okay. So if you're also having like a tornado in your head of different thoughts, just know that you you can just let them go. You know, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's that sort of mood, that sort of vibe for the podcast. And I just recorded our private podcast for this week, which was about how to feel your feelings. And I talked about kind of viewing feelings, emotional feelings as physical pain. So if you're in the group program, check that out. If you're not in the group program, go to my website, bingebakers.com. Check it out. There's a private podcast every week. But today I wanted to talk about productive versus unproductive thinking. And that's because, oh my God, I want to share so many stories that aren't relevant. I'm going yeah, to keep it, just keep it targeted, <laughs> keep it on track. And if we have time, if I remember at the end of the podcast, productive versus unproductive thinking in bulimia recovery. And the reason being is I posted that last week about, I think I said something along the lines of, if you struggle with bulimia, you can struggle with recovery. If you struggled with bulimia, you can recover because it's so obvious to me that people who are struggling with bulimia can recover because they work so hard in bulimia. Like the amount of effort and pain and tolerance that's required to struggle with bulimia, you absolutely can do life things. When you struggle with bulimia, you learn how to do hard stuff and that those skills can be directly applied towards recovery and to life. So it's, it's almost... And I used to think it too, so I get where they're coming from, but it's almost crazy to me that people think, oh, I can't recover because... I'm look at what I'm doing with bulimia. I have no control, but like you put so much energy and time and effort into bulimia and to covering it up into dealing with the pain that it causes into doing hard things and pushing yourself to extreme lengths. It's, it's a no brainer that you can recover. But anyway, I posted something along those lines to help people draw the comparisons and be like, no, you actually have capability. But you would not believe the amount of DMs and comments and stuff like that that I got from people being like, are you sure though? Are you sure? I mean, I've been struggling for 20, 30. That's always what I hear. It's always the time frame. People are like, because I've been struggling for X amount of time, I can't recover. And I'm 
I'm I'm a little bit sassy today. I apologize. You people that are out there are thinking that this is a safe space for you. I promise. I'm not trying to be mean. I was trying to show you what, what I see. A lot of people are like, because I've been struggling for 40 years, I can't recover. And I think really though, I just can't. And they'll say things like, I've tried everything. So why can't I recover? And it's just like people literally trying to argue with me about why they can't recover. And like, tell me they're just, it's like they prepared a portfolio of thoughts of like, here are all the reasons why I can't recover. What do you think of that? You know, like this, it's really cool, huh? All the reasons I've I've compiled. And one thing I want to say is I have the deepest compassion for these people because I was like that. I I remember arguing with my boyfriend at length about how I was incapable of everything. So I literally would argue with people about it. But I also, whenever people would try to tell me things about how you could recover, I would immediately, people wouldn't, you know, by people, books and stuff like that. I never told anyone. But I always think about, yeah, but I can't do these things. Look at all the reasons why I suck. These, yeah, this must be true about me. No, I, I'm the special one. I'm the unicorn. And the thing about that is that it never helps me recover, never helps me make any progress. It just kept me stuck in I can't recover because I was always training my brain to look for evidence as to why I couldn't. And I never spent any time thinking about why I could. I never, never questioned it. I didn't think about, you know, oh, it could I be wrong? If it was wrong, how would that be a possibility? How would that be a potential? And so I want you, if you're out there, if you're constantly trying to argue, if you're even right here, be like, yeah, she's talking, but I'm I'm the one. I'm the one that can't do it. And I have a lot of good reasons why I can't do it cool. I'm, we have a million different reasons. I could, I could list you a whole bunch of reasons as to why I'm incapable of doing a lot of things. And yet I could give you also a long list of reasons why that's not true, because obviously I've been able to accomplish things. Like it's the side you choose. But if you're doing that, I want you to just put your list aside. I just, for a second, let's take a moment with me. We're going to do a little intentional thought practice. Put, pretend you're in an alternate reality. And put your thinking aside that supports the evidence or supports the theory that you can't recover. Just like put it in the bottom of your junk drawer in the back behind all of the like things that you aren't going to use, but you still hold on to. Just put it in there for a second then come back to me. After you've done that, I'm in a feisty mood for sure. <laughs> Too much caffeine again today. That's another story. But after you've done that, I think you come back and... I want to ask you, like, how could you think in a way that is productive towards you finding a solution? So I came up with a list. I posted about this on Monday. And I'm going to talk about it now. The common thoughts I hear and then how you could think of them differently. But before you maybe even pause this podcast and list down, what are all the thoughts that you have that don't help you recover, that make you think you can? And then after that, I want you to think about counter thoughts that you can have to that and reasons why you can recover. But here are some good questions to ask yourself and like some counter thoughts. So one thought I've, I hear all the time, I've tried everything, why can't I recover? Or not even that, but just like I've tried everything. First of all, I just want to remind you that that's highly unlikely. You have not tried everything. If And if I ever think like I know it all, that means I've become an egotistical maniac because how could I possibly have tried every single method known to man? Like, and even if I have, there's probably methods that aren't known to man. So you have not tried everything. Stop, stop that right now. And then if you want to think about this in a productive manner and still keep the story the same, you could say, 
I've tried these methods. So get specific with it. What methods have you tried? What about these methods do I think didn't work? And take educated guesses on why you think it worked or didn't work. You could even list a pros and cons about them. From there, you can start to see, oh, maybe it wasn't that it was just I couldn't do it. It was that the tools in the program, I didn't really show up and use the tools ever because I didn't remember, or I didn't want to, or I didn't think they were going to be effective, so I didn't try. Or they were just too complicated and I didn't understand them correctly. Whatever it is, write those things down. Or, you know, I tried this one method of just eating nonstop. Like there's the mini mod method where you just, you just eat until you can't eat anymore. And then eventually the binge eating is supposed to go away. And for some people that works, some people it doesn't. But you're like, you know, I tried that and I just was binging all the time. And I either stopped doing that because I didn't want to binge anymore, or it just felt like it was going on too long and eventually gave up and just went and resorted back to purging. Think of those things and think about why the method did and didn't work for you. And that's going to lead you to some answers. And the good part about this thinking is that it tells you it wasn't you, it was the how. And that's something we're going to repeat in this podcast a lot. It's not you, it's the how. It's not you, it's the how. It's the methods that you're using that are incorrect. And if you can find the right tools and methods for you and how to use them in a way that works for you, you're going to be much better off. You just have to keep trying. So that's one way to think of it. Another way to rephrase unproductive thoughts could be when the thought of, I just can't recover, you could and then you could instead say, my, my brain is moving so fast right now, it's trying to like literally combine words. It's like, and then it's... <laughs> That's what happens to me. Instead of saying, I just can't recover, you could try to the, the reframe of why am I spending valuable time arguing for why I can't recover? And this brings us back to the intro a little bit. Just question it though. Like, why are you trying to argue so bad for why you can't recover? Does it help you? The only thing that that thinking does is alleviates pressure and allows you to kind of give up on any hopes of recovering and just go back to your eating disorder. And I, I'm not saying that to shame you. Like it's, it's just good for you to know. I have these thoughts all the time about different things, by the way. So like my brain loves to use this line of thinking too, but my brain does it when I am overstimulated. I'm overworked. I feel like whatever I'm trying to do is too much and I can't do it. It's too confusing. So I just want to give up. And then I start to think like, I just can't do it. It's not true, but my brain is trying to be like, just chill, just stop everything. So instead of trying to just give up entirely, you could just take a break in a different way, but try to think about how is that thought serving you? And is it really true? Just, I can't recover. You don't know that. You absolutely have no idea if you can or cannot. You just haven't been successful in it yet. But just because you haven't been successful doesn't mean you can't accomplish it in the future. I think that's very important to know. I know that it's hard to fathom. And I know when you're trying so hard for something that keeps not working, you start to build more evidence as to why you should just give up. But I want you to keep on trying. The best advice I ever heard was from Brooke Castillo when she said, you know, if you failed many, many times, it means you're more likely to get there because you must be close to getting to the right thing because you've failed so many times. You've tried so many wrong things. So keep going. Just because you failed endlessly doesn't mean it's really a bad thing. Maybe you're closer, especially if you're diagnosing or trying to determine what methods didn't work for you. You're getting that much closer to an answer as to what actually works for you. Okay. Another thought I see people have a lot is like, I need a guarantee. I need... I need to know that the other side is going to be better for in order for me to do this. Something that is very disappointing and feels kind of snake oily, if I'm being honest, but it is true, is that there is no guarantee in recovery. You were never guaranteed a resolution to it. But I do like to think with this thought, 
What if you remember of what you are guaranteed, what you do know? And what you do know is that you keep doing what you're doing. The same things are going to happen. If not, it's going to get worse. And even if you're not 100% guaranteed recovery, I bet you if you try something else, you're guaranteed different results. And even if those results are 20% better, 50% better, they're probably going to be better than where you're at right now, this rock bottom recovery era. Like you need to understand that there is no guarantee, but what you're doing right now, it's guaranteed things are going to stay the same, if not get worse. So I like reversing it in that way. Another thing people think is, I don't think I can live without bulimia. I don't know if I want to recover from bulimia. If you're thinking this, consider that you don't know what living with bulimia without bulimia is like, and you need to give that a fair shot before you decide to live or not live with bulimia or without bulimia. It's like trying to decide when you're in a toxic relationship if that person is the right person for you. You're never going to know till you leave them and explore the world a little bit. And that's the only way you'll understand if you made the right decision or not. And the thing about bulimia is you can always go back if you want to. Like, I feel like we we think in such absolutes, it's part of a flaw in our brain, right? We think of the immediate things we have to do, but really not many decisions are finite and you can go back to bulimia if you really want to. So if you're going to bargain with yourself, like I'm, I want to, I want to try to get 30 days. I always talk about trying to get abstinent days under your belt with bulimia, because really when you're binging and purging every day, you are affected on a chemical level, on a physiological level, and you're not thinking as clearly as you could be. How do you be away from it? And I, me saying now I don't have desires to binge, it's crazy to me because back in the day, I could have never imagined that. Binging, like I lived for binging. I would daydream about binging. I would skip class to go binge. I would, any opportunity I had, I would go and binge. It was madness. And I really was like, but I like this. And even when I paused and stuff like that, there was an element of me not really liking it anymore, which helped, but I still had the desire. I still had the urge urge to do it. And it was only after a long sustained period of abstinence that I no longer have urges or desires to binge and purge. I still occasionally have like very small urges, but they're nowhere near what they were. And they're more like small thoughts than actual desires. I don't have a desire to binge the way I used to. It just doesn't sound pleasurable. And anytime I maybe eat a little bit more quickly or overeat, it's usually not a very pleasurable experience for me. So it's it's interesting to think about, but I would have never known that had I just gone without bulimia. So I you need to experience it before you actually decide. And then if you find that you are 30 days in, maybe a year in, and you still hate your life, then maybe you can go back to bulimia. But I want to offer you that if you hate your life a year post-recovery, and it feels like bulimia is better, something's going on with your life. It's not really the eating disorder, it's bulimia, right? Or it's not really, sorry, it's not the eating disorder, it's your life that probably needs to change. I had this client, I have this client, not had, she has recovered from bulimia, she's doing really well, but she is trying to quit smoking. And now that she's been one week free from cigarettes, she noticed her overeating went up a little bit and she had like a few bingy moments, no overeating. And she's been good on binging and purging for months and months. But I could see her brain doing the thing of, well, now that I have stopped smoking, maybe that's how I recovered is utilizing smoking and I either need to keep the cigarettes or I need to keep the bulimia, right? And I was like, remember that you were still smoking when you have bulimia. It's not the cigarettes that saved you. It's not that. 
with life, we'd like to think, oh, it's the bulimia that made it us better. But sometimes the bulimia is just helping you tolerate your life. And when you take bulimia away, sometimes life isn't better. It doesn't mean you bring bulimia back. It means you make your life in such a way that you don't need to turn to bulimia to cope. Maybe you need to just learn how to cope better, but if you're constantly feeling miserable and you have learned to cope in other ways, clearly if you're recovered from bulimia for a year, you have learned to cope in other ways, then it's time to figure out what's causing me to feel so bad that I feel the need to cope with bulimia and can we adjust that? And that's the freedom too of when you get rid of bulimia, you tend to change things. I have this one client who's embracing the fact that she actually has a sexual identity that she has repressed for a long time and been in denial about for a long time. And now she's finally exploring that. But she would have never gotten to that point had she been still in her eating disorder. And I believe, you know, a lot of us know that the in the LGBTQ community, uh, there's definitely a lot more eating disorders because repressing parts of yourself pushing the parts of yourself down and then experiencing different things because of your identity, then eating disorders are are a way that creates coping, right? But if you can live in a world where you're just fully embracing yourself and living a life that is true to you, you're much less likely to go to your eating disorder because you're actually happy and you're not trying to repress things all the time. So it's an interesting concept. I don't think I can live without bulimia. Give yourself a chance to live without it before you make that final decision. Okay. Another one is bulimia is the only thing I have. And I'm just going to say the simple thought, bulimia is the only thing you allow yourself. And if bulimia is the only thing you allow yourself, you need to change that. It shouldn't be the only thing. It shouldn't be the only way that you get fun. It shouldn't be the only way that you receive comfort. It shouldn't be. Just give yourself more than bulimia. It doesn't have to be the only thing. It's like a, it's just like a toxic relationship, an abusive relationship. They make you think that they are the only ones and that you were never going to find anyone when really they are the worst possible things for you, person for you. And there are way more people out there that can be there for you, but they isolate you. Bulimia isolates you from everything. It makes you think that it's everything. And the last one, I'm incapable. People say that to me all the time. Like I just can't do it. I like to use the thought that you've heard me say a million times, but I think I think it's just such a logical thought that's hard to argue with. Like whenever I say this, and this this thought I practice all the time with my clients because I'm a human too. I have doubts too. But when I'm with clients, especially if they, they're struggling, which is common in the beginning, a lot of people think like, oh, you just work with Jacqueline and you magically get better. But the first few months, which is why I work with people for six months, bare minimum at a time, those first few months are rough sometimes. And I need to hold belief for them, right? Because they're struggling. They're struggling to believe in, them, believe in themselves. But the thing that helps me believe in every single person I work with, whether, and sometimes with consults, like people sometimes come to me and they need medical treatment. They can't work with me yet. It wouldn't be safe. But the thing that helps me believe in them is always remembering they're a human being. They are capable of change. And if they are capable of change, they can recover because that's all that recovery requires is changing, the ability to change and adapt. If you can do that, you can recover. Because you're human, you can recover. It's not a question of capability. It's a question of how are you going to get there? And you won't know till you keep on trying. So something vital to remember is that you're always capable it's never a question of your capability. It's just a question of figuring it out. And as I get older, I'm only 28. I'm not that old, but some people might think I'm old. I don't know. But as every year goes by on this planet, I realize it's just an evolution of myself. And 
every single year, my expectations of myself grow and they become more than what I thought was possible. And it's because I have lived experience of pushing those boundaries, right? But if I had told myself years ago that I was going to be doing what I'm doing, if I had told 18-year-old Jacqueline, 12-year-old Jacqueline, told 5-year-old Jacqueline, she'd be like, what is going on? You know, she just wouldn't know because she had no idea. You'll never know till you get there, but don't ever question the fact of if, if you're capable or not. You are. That's not a question. Stop debating it. Stop wondering. Stop anything. Just, just accept that as truth and then worry about, okay, but how? And then take action so you get there. So anyway, this podcast has been a whirlwind, but I really enjoyed ranting about it. So I hope that you enjoyed it too. I had someone, I hope that that's why I'm going to say this. I had someone comment, (laughs) someone commented on my Instagram. It was completely unrelated, but it was really weird that they commented on my Instagram a year or so ago. And they said, you know, your podcast is so the, the attitude that you have or something, it's so unsympathetic and not compassionate. And also the, the fact that you think crying is emotionally immature. I've never said that in my life. I literally just talked about how crying can be a good thing in my private podcast. So this person was like making up lies about me. They, they think they at least thought that they had heard that or they were just being untruthful. And they're like, and how you have like a timeline if people don't recover within your timeline and they they aren't going to recover. And it's just, it's just heartening to me. Maybe I'll give it a, less, a listen in a few months. And I was the first of all like, what is this person talking about? Are, are they referring to me or are they mistaking me from someone else? But I took a tongue in cheek and I was like, well, I didn't say these things, but you know, I can see it's personal, whether you think it's compassionate, but I hope that this podcast, as sassy as it was, came up, came off as still having compassion. I'm saying these things and I'm kind of coaching you hard through this podcast because your thoughts and how you think about recovery do affect you. And this line of thinking of arguing for your eating disorder it will keep you in your eating disorder because you're fighting for the wrong thing. You're fighting for your eating disorder. And I know that mindset because I was in that mindset. And I hope that you can just, maybe you feel a little bit called out on this podcast. It's a good thing. It's okay. And just because you were thinking like this, there's no need to shame yourself. There's no one to be like, I'm so stupid. She's right. I, I can't do this. I'm such an awful, don't do that to yourself. I have unproductive thoughts all the time, as you can probably tell from this podcast. Like I just, we're not always perfect thinkers. You can't help what you think unintentionally. You can help what you think on purpose, what you choose to think next. So remember that, take this without shame and use it to your best interest. Use it to recover. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, I'll let you guys go. I'll save some of the stories I have for a later date. But thank you for listening. And thank you for those guys that just, yeah, just listen or give reviews or something like that. I really appreciate it. Later this month, this week, we're doing the free group coaching call that happens tomorrow. And then later this month, we're going to be doing a free uh, stop binging challenge. It'll be at the end of the month. So look, look out for that. If you're subscribed to my mailing list, you will receive information about that probably a week before it happens to sign up. And that will just be a five day series. I'll explain it further as time goes on, but you can check that out. And then also, if you are interested in help from me, either through the group coaching program or my private coaching program. I work with people on the group coaching program every week at Sunday, 9 a.m. Mountain Time. You can join that program at any time. And there's tons of modules about how not to binge and purge, intuitive eating, different workshops on how do you feel your feelings, just lots of cool stuff. And there's a private Facebook community. So that's awesome. 
and it's really low cost. There's a coupon code on my website for $10 off too. So you can check that out. But if you're looking for someone to guide you week to week and help you out with the recovery program and, you know, and guide you every single week on what's going on, what are the challenges, what do you need to be working on this week and um, what's preventing you from getting there. That's what I do with people for my six month group, my recovery program, six month <laughs> private coaching program. So if you're looking for someone to guide you who has a lived experience, will be compassionate and there for you, but also keep you accountable and, and keep you honest with yourself and push you towards your goals. I have two spaces um, available for the month of May. So if you are looking to work with me in private coaching, sign up for consult ASAP because those spots go really quickly. So other than that outside, I don't know what my availability will be like for June. I know that I will have some spots opening up as some clients wrap things up if they don't rebook, but I can't guarantee that space. So if you are interested and I would love to meet you, sign up for a consult on my website at bingebreakers.com. Otherwise, I'll let you go. Never give up on yourself, my friends. Bye. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now.